I love interviewing fighters. You know, it's when you talk about you want to write about people. You know, there's no more interesting people on the planet, I think, than those people who want to strip down to shorts and a pair of gloves and and step inside a steel cage to make money. You know, it's um, they've all got incredible stories. They're, they're just really incredible people, and just just you know. Some of the nicest people I've met in in sports have have been UFC fighters. Hello and welcome to the Riders Hour. I'm Adam Burnett. I'm with Sam Ferris, our producer. Hey, Sammy. Hello, AB. How are things, mate? Really well, and I'm really excited about this week's guest because I'm a rugby league fan, AB, as you know, and this is one of the chief rugby league reporters in the country. Yes, very experienced rugby league reporter and actually an old colleague of mine from Rugby League Week, Rested Soul. Uh, I've long admired the way he strings a sentence together. We are talking about Nick Walshaw, who writes not only rugby league, but also mixed martial arts for Sydney's Daily Telegraph. And we're going to have a look at a couple of his stories today, one on a young rugby league player named Braden Burns and one on UFC champ Rob Whitaker, both of which are in the episode notes for you to have a look at. Yeah, that's right, AB. And while you're there, and you're there all the time, but for people who aren't there all the time, rate, review, and subscribe to The Writer's Hour wherever you get your podcast from. And also follow The Writer's Hour on Twitter at The Writer's Hour so you never, ever, ever miss an episode. We spoke about Nick as a rugby league writer, but of course, he's also one of the country's preeminent mixed martial arts writers. He actually paid his own ways to write about it originally. He was a bit of a trailblazer in the field in Australia. And now he's the main man in what is some pretty substantial coverage of the sport at the Daily Telegraph. Sam, I know you found his chat with Rob Whitaker to be particularly interesting. Oh, it was, it was great stuff. And not just about Rob Whitaker or Braden Burns, but it's more about interviewing in general as a journalist, how important it is when you can, tough in this pandemic, but to try and meet these people in person so you can read their body language and build that rapport with them. I think that's what Nick gets out really strongly is how important it is to have a rapport with the athlete. So you do get a little bit more. Rapport equals more in this sense. And also finding that little nugget, that little gold detail, and then going over and over and over again just to try and get as much detail as possible. Fascinating listen for all those young journos out there. The other thing I picked up, Sam, was... Nick's passion for writing about people. He might write about sport, but it's the human element of the sports in which he's writing about that he takes the most from. And I think that's really reflected in his copy. But that's enough from us. It's over to Nick. Nick Walshaw, thanks for joining us, mate. Great to have you on. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, Nick, it's uh, obviously a strange time for everyone at the moment, mate, but I thought we could uh, firstly dive into how things have changed for you at the moment with, with the whole COVID. I mean, is work a lot different for a Sydney journo working from home or how does it work for you at the moment? Mate, it's sort of, it hasn't been a lot different for me in that I live on the, the central coast anyway, which is about, for those who don't know, it's about an hour, hour and a change north of Sydney. So I work from home a lot anyway, mate. And I, um, you know, drive, uh, drive in or do go to training sessions and, and, and press conferences and that, then, then head back home. So working from home is, is nothing new for me. The hardest thing is not being able to sit face to face with people. I mean, when you, you're sort of like a, a colour writer, I guess. Mm. The the further away you are in terms of talking with someone, the harder it is to get information from them. So I just find like at the moment, Zoom conferences and that it's it's just impossible to do to tell stories the way you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
so at the moment, uh, there seems to be a lot more craving too for just the nuts and bolts. You know, when's the competition on? What are the changes? What are the rule changes? What's the draw going to look like? You know, how many rounds? For the past month, it's it's just been sort of really nuts and bolts sort of new stuff. Uh, I saw you managed to get creative at one point with a, a bit of a series of um, looking at the guys and how they're sort of living and training with all the restrictions going on. That They worked all right, but you sort of found them difficult, did you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard. I mean, trying to talk to guys over the phone and, and try and get a sense of what they're doing from videos. I mean, you know, it was then that you realised how good would it be, you know, like James Tamau was down on a, on a on his in-laws farm, you know, but it's, it's really hard to get the colour of that when you're sitting on the Central Coast, you know, mm. you need to be mm. on the farm and, and, you know, talking about his kids running through the training session and, and stuff like that or... You know, Alex Volkanovsky, the UFC featherweight, you know, climbing this this massive hill down at Port Kembla. But if you're not there, I mean, you're trying to tell a story through video and it's, it's you know, it's it's really difficult. It makes sense. Uh, I guess it's a really good lesson as well that um, being on the scene, being there when you can be there is, is infinitely better. The same for interviews, you know, like when you're trying to talk to people over the it's it's impersonal, you know what I mean? If, mm. if, if you want to get someone's story, you have to sit with them face to face and you have to, you know, the, the whole point is making someone feel comfortable and you just, mm. uh, you just lose so much in a phone conversation, even in a, in a Zoom conversation. It's not the same as being able to sit there and, and you know, just read a person properly. Uh, let's wind the clock back a little bit, Nick, first of all, before we go too deep into um, all this interview stuff, which is good stuff. But um, I wanted to know, firstly, where you started, how you uh, got a bug for this industry and, um, and what you're up to today as well. Mate, I, I, I guess I got, uh, I, I don't know where it came from. I've always been just interested in people. You know, it's, it's just, I mean, I, my old man was a bookie, so I, I sort of grew up, you know, with him going to the races with him and and stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't think there's anywhere more interesting on the planet than than a dog meeting or a race meeting or trots, Gosford trots back when we had a trotting track. But, um, you know, I, so I've always been interested in people and, and it, I, I guess it just grew from there, just wanting to tell people's stories. I, my, I went to Newcastle uh, University with... Um, Andrew Webster, who's a great writer, obviously, at the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, and then from there, mate, spent, uh, went out to Mudgee and had two years at the Mudgee Guardian. That was my first job. I didn't even know where it was when they <laughs> rang me up. Our uni lecturer rang up and said uh, they're looking for, a, for a, uh, a cadet journalist out at Mudgee. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, sure. And I, I got off the phone and then I had to look through the old Daily Telegraph, the different footy groups. They used to have all the groups in the paper with the results and I had to find Mudgy and, and try and then work out from around the different groups where I was going for this interview. But had two years two years at Mudgy, then went to Coffs, uh, the Coffs Advocate. Uh, Webby, Andrew Webster had been working there and he, he um, was leaving and was good enough to ring and then put in a good word for me. So I went to uh, Coffs Harbour. Uh, from there, mate, uh, Rugby League Week. Was there for probably 10 years. Started there with a great editor, Norm Tasker, brought me down. And then, uh, uh, you know, the Rugby League Week for eight years, then then the Daily Telegraph. And I've been at the telly for about uh, 11 or 12 years, I guess, now. Yeah, writing Rugby League, so. And uh, Rugby League is 
is one part of it now and you've sort of managed to find a little niche for yourself or maybe not a little niche, a pretty significant niche these days um, in the UFC and the MMA. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how that came to be? Because as you said, it was sort of, you went to the telly uh, as a rugby league rider. Yeah, so uh, I guess, you know, early on, um, uh, Paul Kent had been doing boxing and, and, and UFC and stuff like that. And then he was sort of shifting uh, to torn to other things and you know he said oh look there was a there was a trip to go and cover some UFC stuff so I went and did it um but early on there wasn't really there wasn't really a lot of interest in it I mean when Rob Whitaker who's you know since become our first champion I mean when he won the ultimate fighter up on the Gold Coast um you know I paid my own way to go and cover that you know, shared a room with a, with another journo who'd, who'd been comped by the UFC, and and you know, it was a sidebar in the in the paper. Yeah, well, yeah, so so, so it was a bit of a passion project for you at that point. Oh, absolutely, mate. I, you know, it's it's probably not something you, you're supposed to say say these days, but mate, I love violent sports. You know, I mate, I love I love the UFC. I love watching violent sports, and I'm, it's it's not something you're supposed to. You know, it's not a a cool thing, maybe I don't know. It's not. It's not the appropriate thing, I guess. People are, you know, in this day and age. But I, and more importantly than I love watching fights, I love interviewing fighters. You know, it's when you talk about you want to write about people. You know, there's no more interesting people on the planet, I think, than those people who want to strip down to shorts and a pair of gloves and and step inside a steel cage to make money. You know, it's. Um, They've all got incredible stories. They're, they're just really incredible people. And just, just you know, some of the nicest people I've met in, in sports have, have been UFC fighters. Just really hardworking, humble, good people. But, you know, just just great stories. So I guess that's what, you know, early on it wasn't, it, it's, it certainly wasn't a great career move to be, to be riding UFC, but I really enjoyed it. So that's why I've sort of kept at it. And, and as a result, it's sort of grown and there's a real, there's a real market for it now. I mean, I get great support off, off our editors now to, to, to travel and, and, and to write stories. So it's, it's, yeah, it's wow. Great. So it was a, a, a ballsy first step and then um, it kind of paid off in a sense. I mean, a sidebar with paying your trip to the Gold Coast and then all these years later, it's uh, it's part of what you do. And uh, it's, as you say, heavily supported, hey? Yeah, well, now, you know, like I've been, I've watched fights in Madison Square Garden, mm. in, in Vegas, you know, in, in Mexico. You know, it's it's incredible. And it's, you know, for someone who, who loved, like if you love to watch fights, you know, you, you get to sit front row. I've seen some of the, the been lucky enough to sit front row for some of the, the greatest fights, you know. Um, and I know, look, it's not a sport for everyone and that's cool, but, you know, there there are people who love it. And, you know, as I said, it's just the the people who are in and around that sport are just, there's just some incredible stories. So I mm. think that that draws me to it more than the, you know, more than the actual competition. It's it's the people who are competing is, I think, is why I'm so drawn to it. Speaking of Madison Square Garden, I saw uh, an interview where you were speaking with Dana White at Madison Square Garden, sat down one-on-one with him, the head of the UFC. I guess young listeners who, you know, might be a little bit nervous about interviewing someone, that struck me as a, probably a fairly intimidating one. Was was it that the case or was was it not? Oh, it's, it's sort of hard, mate. I guess I'm a bit... I find myself, 
um, quite nervous before I do any interview. You know, I've, I've been doing it, like doing this job for, for 20 years and, and I still find when I pick up the phone to people, I really have to, you know, convince myself to, to be confident enough to talk to them, you know. So that that day was, you know, you're definitely nervous before mm. you, you're speaking to him. And, and I, with guys like that too, I mean, he's always been great with me. You know, over time now he knows who I am and mm-hmm. and he's generous with his time. But you know you have a, a small window. And with people like that, you know, you're the fourth or fifth thing he's he's doing you know on the way to something else so if you if you want to get something more than just a simple soundbite out of him you've, you've got to be ready to go and you you've got to do it properly you know what I mean otherwise you know you, you're not going to get a good response out of them they've got a million other things to do so you've if you want to elicit a good response you've you've got to sort of really come up with with something pretty pretty decent with your with your questioning a different angle or, or something like that to get them to get them enthused about the interview. Have you got any other tactics for um, avoiding nerves? I mean, do you sort of lock yourself away in a room and, and just have the room to yourself or how do you try and go about it? Mate, I think it's just that thing with anything, isn't it? It's like you just pick up the phone. Just, yeah, right. just do just it. Dive you know, into those, it. Those couple of seconds where don't let yourself think about it, you yeah. know, just, just, just do it. You know, it's the same, you know, when you're in an interview sometimes and you're like, a question will come into your head and you'll think, oh, gee, can I ask that? You know, um, just just ask it. Just ask, you know, yeah. you, know, you know, it's just those couple of seconds where you just got to talk yourself through it. But I, I guess, and, you know, for a lot of young journals, I remember I used to be so frightened when I started. But as I said, it, it, uh, some of it gets easier, but, uh, like, I'm, I'm still today when I go to pick up the phone to ring someone, I think, oh, you know, am I bugging them or are they going to want to talk to me? You know, just just pick up the phone. <laughs> just do it. Job. Yeah, yeah. I like it. One of the pieces I want to talk to you about today is um, – on Braden Burns, who was a um, yeah. young Rabbitohs player. You had a really interesting story with him last year. He was a finalist at the Australian Sports Media Awards. And uh, it was just a compelling profile. A young guy from a very challenging background, seeing footy as a pathway to uh, not only make a difference in his life, but I guess in that of others. And what struck me first of all was that it was a good news footy story, which we don't have too many of. But for you, mate, it must have been nice to find a story like this. Yeah, I guess... Uh- I'd seen a couple of stories written on on Braden Burns, and for whatever reason, I I just felt like there was more to tell. You know what I mean? And and that you know, just sometimes someone else can get a guy, and and you know they've only got limited time or or whatever. But I just felt there was there was more to this to this guy's story than I than I'd heard. Um, so I just wanted to be able to, to to sit down with him and and just talk. You know, and I was lucky enough that. South Sydney sort of basically set it up where him and I met, you know, for coffee and, and, you know, we just chatted, um, you know, for an hour, like for an hour, which is, is, you know, getting harder and harder to do. I mean, you talk about there's not a lot of good news stories in rugby league. And I think, I think that's rugby league's fault. You know, there's good Mm. news stories there, but you know, that if, if you give journalists a five minute, window where we all stand there with our tape recorders you're not going to get anything you know you're going to get what you give you know there's so many there's so many great journos covering rugby league who can you know will swanton andrew webster you know guys who can really tell a story but 
those the opportunities to to sit down with guys for extended periods are are limited. Mm. Um, you know, so therefore it limits the opportunity. But so uh, yeah, as I said, like he was, I was just lucky that he was uh, at that time perhaps more willing than he had been previously. To, I mean, you have to have a million things go right. Maybe that was just that day, you know, and, and he, he was really willing to to go deep into his story, which was which is, you know, it's always a privilege. You know, no one mm. has to tell you anything about their life. So anytime anyone opens up, you know, to tell you their story, it's a real privilege. Um, and, that, and that definitely that day. How does it work for you at The Telegraph in terms of, you know, you say, you know, you would have walked away from that interview knowing you've got, you need some room to write that story, right? It's not a 300 word news story. So do you just approach your editor and say, look, I've got something that I think we'll, we'll need to put over a couple of pages. Is it that flexible or is it, you got to wait your turn or how does it work? Well, we basically in in footy season there, we have a lift out every Thursday, you know, and we've had that for a couple of years and, and basically the spread in that is about 1100, 1200 words, you know? So, Basically, for the last couple of years, that's, you know, you know, I've been, you know, works, the editors have been, you know, gracious enough to let me basically have that space to tell stories, which is, it's great. Well, I mean, there's nowhere else in the paper where you have that sort of space. So, and it, which, which is, you know, 1200 words is, is more than enough to, to be able to, to tell someone's story you know um if if you you know write it in the right way mm-hmm. um so that's you know what, what every week you know you've got you've got that sort of space um it's the sometimes it's it's hard finding the people you know what i mean getting the time with people like there's um, you've got a million ideas but it's it's sort of trying to be able to to convince clubs or whatever that you you know you should be able to sit down with someone and 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 tell their story but yeah but and so does can. that sort of start on a Monday morning, Nick? Do you jump on the phone with with an idea in mind and go from there? Yeah, yeah. Usually, or or you try and I mean, once once sort of you've got one out of the way, you're sort of trying to think about okay, what am I going to do next week? I mean, it, it it all depends. You know, an issue might jump up out of the ground, or or a team might start doing really well that makes you want to focus on them. But um, yeah, it, normally you just sort of you, you try and have try and have something lined up the weekend before so by monday or tuesday you're doing that interview and then and then writing it on wednesday you know that makes sense especially if you need to start doing some um, interviews around the the subject which is is what you did with this burns piece but i'll just jump into uh, reading these first couple of pars because it's it's a hell of a start Braden burns was training at redfern oval the other morning when his mum showed up hand out wanting cash but i said no burns says wouldn't give her any and mum, she got real upset, started crying, which really shook me up. I was struggling. Eventually, I went back inside the sheds. But still, the kid stayed firm. For if you reckon seeing mum in tears is tough, how about overdose in the front seat of a car? Slumped unconscious, eyes shut from one arm, a needle hanging lifeless like her body. Now, mate, very powerful images there. Did you know as soon as you heard that anecdote um, about his mum's history with drugs that, that you would be using it right up the front of your story. Yeah. I mean, was it a, an obvious lead for you? Yeah. I mean, we'd been talking for, for a long, a long time. Like we were pretty deep into our, into our interview when, when he started to talk about that sort of stuff. I mean, for me, the, the biggest part of all that too, was it's, it's recency, 
you know what I mean? Like this, this had only happened within days of us, us talking. So it was, um, yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes you can write about, about people and their upbringing and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's, you know, it's from when they were young. So it can be powerful, but I think the immediacy of that story, it's like, this is what this first grade footballer is going through mm. right now. So that link, that link to the present where she had just come up to him asking for cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. it's, it's a good this point. Is what, this is what uh, uh, an NRL footballer is going through right at the moment, you know. Mm. And it's, I think it's too, you know, he's he's such a wonderful guy, and, and he was so open in telling that story. Um, and I think too, mate, we all relate, you know, because it's his mum. You know what mm. I mean? It's such a you know, it's it's something we can all relate to. Like everyone's got a mum, so we can we can all you have a connection then to what he's to what he's talking about, which which uh, I, I guess makes it such a a powerful thing, and a, a people are able to relate to it. Your your job, Nick, then is to you know make it uh, as readable as possible. I guess um, you know you don't want to sensationalize because it and I mean it doesn't need to be sensationalized anyway, but. I mean, you don't, but you don't want to put it plainly. You're a bit of a craftsman with your words. I mean, you could have just said, Braden Burns remembers the day he saw his mum slumped unconscious, a needle sticking out her arm. But I mean, that's not really a, a lead as such. I mean, I know you wrestle with working out these these things. Do you remember sort of the process of coming up with that, the way you went into that story? I, I guess um, you, you started with the present. Yeah, it's um, like it took me a, a long time to work out what I was going to do with that because it was such a, I mean, when people open up to you like that, you feel, or I do really, I mean, it's your responsibility then to tell that story properly. You, you know what I mean? It's like this, you understand this is going to be his story, hmm. you know? Um, but I mean, I, I feel like that for most of the people I interview, it's sort of like when you sit with someone there, if they're putting their trust in you, you know, and they're opening up to you, you have a real responsibility then to put a lot of, to do, to do it right and to do their story justice. You know, that's the way I always think of it. You know, this could, this might be for a young guy, this might be his one story, you know? So uh, how would you like, if you had one story out there, how would you like it to be told? You know, and for a lot of them, it won't be, they'll have a million stories written about them, but that's sort of the, the attitude I, I try and take into it to respect their story and to, you know, give it, you you your very best so you do you do sort of chop and change and 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 try and come up with a few different things but it, i guess in the end it was just bringing it back to that that moment where this this young footballer's confronted by mum at, at at training you know i mean to it, it sort of says so much about him and and what he's going through and yeah to me it, i mean it took a long while to work out how to how to sort of write it in the right way mm. but you know it's and as i said you just you're just grateful that a, that a young man like that not only you know trusts you to tell his story but you know is just so open and honest and and i mean he's just such a terrific kid you know or, or a terrific young man you know mm, mm, mm. hey mate um uh, the it was such a um multi-layered story too wasn't it? i mean the more i read into it like you've got um not only the, the stuff about his mum but 
his dad's in prison and, and he's ceased the relationship there because for various reasons, um, he lost his nan recently and, and all the positive stuff as well. You know, he, he's looking to become a copper after footy. He wants to use footy as a platform to spread a more positive message and all of these things. You probably had, you know, half a dozen ways into this story, but you just felt like the mum was, was the crux of this. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, that's who he is. You know what I mean? That's, that's been his life from the outset. So it's, it's sort of like, it's about this young guy, I guess, who's, who's sort of having to make so many decisions by himself, you know, and, and going down this path. And I I think too, it just opened, it gives you a reminder of like, you know, some of the things young footballers go through. I mean, I think we forget sometimes, I mean, you talk about, you know, what it takes to be a UFC fighter. I mean, to be great at rugby league, you know, takes a certain type of mindset and a, a certain type of guy. And, you know, we have we have a lot of guys come from really tough backgrounds. Mm. Um, and again, like there's, there's so many stories there. And I, I just wish, you know, if if footballers understood and, and clubs understood, if, if we had you know, a little, a little bit more access to, to telling those stories, then you can understand, you, mm. you can, uh, you can understand more like, you know, I think cause that's a, a, the, in rugby league, a, a real big complaint from, from players that they're sort of misunderstood and that people don't understand the, the issues that they have. And, mm. it, and it's sort of like, you know, you would love to be able to, to, to tell some of those stories more, you know, let me go spend a weekend hanging out with Latrell Mitchell and maybe go back to his, his family's farm with him or whatever, something like that, you mean? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, and, I, and I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many, it's just, it's, I guess it's changed a lot. I remember when I first started at Rugby League Week, you know, you would ring a guy on his home number and, and, and go around to his place and sit in the backyard and, or, or sit in the lounge room and, and talk and, you know, talk for an hour, two hours. You know, now it's all media managers, and and you know, you, you to try and get time with with someone is is getting tougher and tougher. Is the is the UFC um, better for that? Better access? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, you just deal with the the fighters directly. You okay. know, um, especially the Aussie guys. You know, um, you know, like with with Rob Whitaker, say like you know, and, and Alex Volkanovsky, like I've, Rob Whitaker, I've known for, for eight or nine years, you know, Alex, um, a little bit less, but I mean, I've been able to, you know, travel overseas to watch him fight and, mm. and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's a, I guess a bit of a, a, a trust there that, that mm. they know, you know, what you're about and that you'll, you'll tell their stories properly. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more open, you know, um, Mate, it was the same when I went and covered uh, Jared Hayne in the States. You okay. know, it's, I found the access to NFL players a, a lot better than it is here, mm. which is, it's, I mean, it's crazy, but, you know, and it's, it's, you can't, it's, you don't, it's not whinging. I mean, that's your job. Your job's to, to find the story. But, uh, you know, the in America, they just seem to, to get it a lot more. They, mm. they understand, you know, that the, the media drives, uh, you know, attendances and interest and, 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 and everything like that, like let people understand who they're cheering about, you know. And the UFC does it terrifically in, in terms of their, their build-up shows and that. Like it's all about let me tell you about these two guys fighting 
so you care enough about them to to spend money to watch them fight, you know. Now let's jump back into this um, Burns story. I'm going to continue reading from the top. So exactly how old Burns was that afternoon back home in Canamble, he cannot say. Just as this son of longtime drug users and in the case of dad, Jonathan Silver, a convicted armed robber, has no memory before those of his home being used by parents, uncles, whoever, to shoot up, throw down, or simply celebrate being out. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great end to that sentence, particularly, I thought, shoot up, throw down. You sweat over every word, right? There's some clever little wordplay there with the up and the down. And those little bits and pieces, is that what separates sort of just a quick news yarn from a feature? Yeah, I mean, I sort of write... I guess mine's a bit, my style, I guess, is, is a bit different in that I use a lot of slang and stuff mm. like that. Like I really write like I talk. Mm. You know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's great writing, but it's, it's pretty simple. I just try and keep it really simple. Yeah, those short sentences you use. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I mean, it's, it's, and I know that's not everyone's, you know, some people have over the years have said they sort of don't, don't like that. But I mean, that's just, it's just the way I write. Like I've, I've tried a couple of times to, to, to write a bit longer and I've, I've sort of read other people who, who, you know, write longer stuff, but it just like, it just doesn't work for me. I can't, I can't really do it. So just keep it simple and short. And, and it, that's just, it's just the only sort of way I know, I guess. That was probably actually the longest sentence in the, in the whole story. And, but as you say, terms like shoot up or throw down, they are slang in a, in a sense, but they're pretty common as well. And they are used effectively uh, within this story. Are you sort of playing to a deliberate audience there? Do you know your audience um, that you, you assume that someone who's reading this yarn about a young footy player is going to understand the terms like throw down and shoot up? Yeah, mate. Like one of the lessons I, uh, someone taught me really early on was like, narrow your audience down to one person okay work it. and and so for me i've always said that my audience is the you know the tradie sitting down at morning tea picking up the daily telegraph well it was picking up the daily telegraph when i started now he might be on his phone or whatever but for me the, i've always written with that guy in mind that one guy who's sitting that tradie you know middle-aged dude you know, loves a beer, loves a punt, and he's just, you know, a couple of tats, sitting down on his esky at morning tea, reading the Telegraph. So that's that's the guy I write to every time. So it's sort of like when you're sort of struggling with something, it's, uh, you know, should I throw this this analogy or, or this reference in? It's like, is he going to get it? And if he's not going to get it, just leave it out, you know? Yeah, right. That's a good, good lens to, to look at it through, I reckon. And just sort of looking through this piece, it, it sort of, I guess as you go along in this piece, there's more bits of heartache along the way with his nan and, and the situation with his dad, but it sort of becomes brighter as, as we go. And you say in sort of halfway down the first bit, um, it's why Burns now wants to be a copper, but only after starring with South, understanding that the bigger his NRL profile gets, the more powerful his message for change becomes. More than anything, he wants to bring change for himself, younger brother Dre, and any other kids seeking something other than what they have. Uh, at what point, sitting down with Braden, did did you get a sense that okay, yeah, my intuition was right here. This yarn is um a bit bigger than a simple uh, kid trying to crack the NRL kind of story. 
Yeah, I get like this one was a bit different in that I knew going in, you know, I'd mm. read those those two or three sort of pieces that had been done on him already and I was like, I know there's something else there. Yeah. Can I can I get to it? You know, okay. maybe I will, maybe I won't. And you know, if you if you don't then you're sort of in trouble because you're just going to be telling the same story. Yeah, yeah, rehashing. And, you know, but I'm just going into that one. It was the same. I remember when John Bateman, uh, the the Canberra player who came out from England, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and he got here and you could just, you could just tell by the way he played, he's a rough, tough, you know, comes from this this working class town like I knew when I uh, drove down like I drove to Canberra you know four hours down but just on the on the you just knew that he had a story you know and then he ended up opening up about being a young kid and and um uh, you know there was like 30 40 people outside his house wanting to fight him and and you know he's inside behind the door and he's you know and there's this this local tough out there who wants to fight him and and uh Bateman says to his brother, you know, oh, he, they want me to go out there. And he's like, yeah, I've, and I've heard this guy can really fight too, you know. <laughs> and so, and, and out the door he goes, you know, uh, you know, and, and into the street of his, his housing commission block to, to fight this kid who was, you know, 15 years older and with 30 mates around him. And, and, and he, you know, but you, you knew there was something there. But again, I was very blessed that, that he opened up the way he did. But so with, with Burns going in, you knew there was something something there um you just hope that 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 might be the day that he chose to to really sort of talk about it and i think you know you get a bit lucky in that it had only been you know within the week that it, that his mum had been there but i mean you you say you're blessed and uh, that, that that was the case or you get a bit lucky what do you do to try and you know spin the odds in your favor a little bit well any techniques um around an interview you're trying to you know i, I guess top of the list is being there um, as we discussed earlier, instead of being over the phone, you're unlikely to get this kind of stuff. But yeah, what what um, what do you try and do to get them to open up? You just, I guess, it's just you know have a real conversation, and and I, I think it comes back to working out what you want to ask and and just being inquisitive. That okay, I want to find out what makes this person tick. So I, you know, it's like really listening, really listening to what they say. Don't go in with any preconceived ideas. I mean, okay, you knew Burns had some sort of story to tell, but it's like, just really listen to what they say. And then your inquisition will tell you what to, uh, to ask next. You know, you'll go, well, okay, they've said that. What about this? You know, and that's where, as I said earlier, sometimes and I still get it, you're so nervous. It's like he's talking about his mum and it's like, oh, like, you know, this is a real personal story and it's like, well, should, should I be going? And, and you know, he, but ask the questions, you know, ask the questions that the, the reader would ask, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, you, you've told me this, so what about this? You know, when, when you get onto something, it's it's sort of, you know, when he mentioned his mum, it's then I wanted to know, okay, so how, how did it end? And, you know, with him going back into the sheds and how did you feel? And, and you know, how then, okay, how has it, it got to this point? But I just find if, if, you're, if you're there with a person and, and, and really listen to, to what they're, they're saying, you know, make sure you've got time. Give yourself, like, I feel like if I can sit with someone for an hour, I can tell their story. But, I, like, I, I want to get 45 minutes to an hour, mm. you know, because the, fir- the first 10 minutes is just chatting, mm. you know. like, And that's part like, of it though, right? Is that part of uh, your absolutely, technique? Absolutely, you know. It's like... 
you're asking you're asking someone to open up on some some really personal stuff you know so they have to they have to get a sense of who you are as well you know they have to you know and i don't know what it was with john bateman like maybe it was the fact that i'd driven four hours to to hear his story you know Mm. and maybe when he heard that then he was more inclined to go okay well i'm i'm gonna give this guy a story you know Mm. i mean i'm not sure but it's you have to you have to sort of take the time you know make feel people feel comfortable and you get to a point i guess where it's just two people having a conversation you know once once they forget that it's an interview once they forget that the tape recorder's there, and I mean, you know, early on, you know, you used to have to, to write notes and stuff like that. So now where you can just sit a phone on the table and press record, after a while, it's just two people chatting, mm. you, you know what I mean? And that's why, that's why I guess the problem sometimes these days is there's a lot more all-in stuff and, you know, mm. you, you, never, you know, even if you, you're just looking for a nice colour line for the day, it's like when, when a guy's confronted by three TV cameras and six journos, they're not going to give you anything. You know, mm-hmm. because their their walls up, and it's like this is a this is an interview. You know, so I'll give you the sound bite you need, and then we all go home. You yeah. know, but yeah. if you if you want more than that, a you've got to you've got to make the time to get you, to know them, and 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 you know. Do you, Nick? Um, have, have you has the situation ever arisen where, because I guess you do get a lot of personal stories, some some um, pretty emotional stuff out of these guys. Does the situation ever arise where maybe a few days later they'll send you a text and go, "Oh, mate, I'm not 100 percent sure about what I said. I'm starting to regret it. Uh, any chance we can, you know, I can have a look at the copy before it goes in, or can we leave this bit out? You know, all that sort of stuff. Has that happened to you? And if so, how do, how do you deal with that? Yeah, mate, absolutely. And I um, I wrote a story once about a footballer and it was before, it was my last, it was going to be in rugby league week and um, I'd got this interview. He was, he was just sort of a, you know, a run-of-the-mill first grader, um, but with just this I- incredible story. It, it, it was similar to Burns in, in what he'd been through and what he'd seen uh, as, a, as a child and then a, a young man. And... Um, so I'd written and I spent ages on it. You know, I had like however many weeks before you change jobs and I used a lot of my holiday time to, to write this piece and it was going to be my, my first one in the Daily Telegraph. Like this, I was going to rock up and go, bang, here, I've got this story for you. And um, he said to me, oh, look, can just before, you know, and I'd explain to him, look, I'm moving to the Telegraph, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, look, can I just, can I just have a look at it, you know? And I said, sure. So I, I sent it to him. And he rang me back. He said, look, I'm fine with it, but my parents are just, they're not in a good way, you know. And he said, look, it's, and I get that it's my story, you know, and it obviously involved his parents and, and there was, a, it was a, like, it was a real story. And um, he said, I, I, I can't run with it, you know, we, I can't do it. So we didn't do it, you know. It's, it's like, and, you know, I've still got it sitting in a drawer at home. You know, it's I'm the only person who's ever seen it. And I it was you know, I still think it's one of the best stories I've ever written. And it sits in the in a bottom drawer. But that was that was his story, you know, and so he's got every right not to tell it. And and people will always say, Don't don't let subjects read it. And I think a lot you know, it, it, it all depends. Like if you're if you're writing something on someone that you know, may not necessarily be 
you know, the, it, it's not always the case where I'd let someone read something. Like if I'm writing some sort of feature and for whatever reason, I, I don't think they're going to be 100% happy with it, you know, but that might be the point. But for the, you know, for cases like Burns, um, I, I, can't, I can't even remember if he asked to see it. I'm not sure that he did. But there have been there have been other cases. I wrote one back in, in rugby league week on a um, another indigenous uh, guy who tried to kill himself when he was young, and he and he'd risen up, and he was now a, a um, uh, you know working with young indigenous kids and stuff like that. So so and he'd asked to see it, and I, I said yeah sure, and he sent it back to me, and he said I've I've got one change, and I was like and it was like uh, my son. Uh, You've put he's you know trialing with the Broncos. He's also trialing with with someone else. You know, he does. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, and and I mean, some people will say never show them. But I, I guess I've you got to you've like, got to have that conscience, right? You you've got to sleep at night. Yeah, and it's made it's their story. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, like my job is to tell someone else's story. I mean, I I think in this day and age, where we're going with sports journalism, it's there's a lot more. It's about commentary, you know what I mean, and and you know that's and that's fine. That's what people want. But for me, it's always been about I'm I'm telling someone's story. That that's it, you know. So if if they don't think the story's right, then I then I haven't done it right, you know. And except for that one time where where he was hundred percent happy with the story, but his parents were mm-hmm. just, you know, I mean, they were still dealing with a lot of demons, and mm-hmm. and so. Yeah, you know, I mean, I would have been horrified to think that, that that story comes out, and I, you know, people would be like, "Oh, terrific story," but two of the people are, are devastated. You know, yeah. that's what what uh, that's not the point of it. You know what no. I mean? It, it's not what it's not what you you know it's it's about. You know, well, yeah. not for me. I'm sure for other people it's different, but you know, everyone has to do do it their own way. You know what I mean? And mm. that's just that's just how I've chosen to do it yeah and it makes a lot of sense the way you put it i think um it it is a bit of a gray area a bit of a murky one it's but yeah i think um you know at the end of the day you've got to be able to uh sleep at night or look yourself in the mirror or whatever analogy you want to use but um sometimes you know where you won't you know you're you're writing a a piece and you're like you know the person for whatever reason won't 100 percent love it Mm -hmm. you know well but you know, for the majority, you know, for, for other things, I think it's 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 really a horses for courses thing, yep. you know. And I also feel like, you know, back yourself that you've done a good enough job that they're not going to want to change. I want to get back into some nuts and bolts with you, Nick, um, just in, in this Braden Burns story. Uh, it's a really simple point, but there's a few examples where you break a sentence with Burns recalls or Burns says. So you say here, for example... For a long time, Burns recalls, I blame myself for mum and dad being gone. Why do you do that? Is that like a rhythm thing to the sentence? Can you explain that one? It's like, for me, it's like I want to, it, you know, it might, it's one sentence, but you, you want to end on the point, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you say, for a long time, I blame myself for mum and dad being gone, he said, Mm. it's like to me it, it's like you want to end it on that bang which is for a long time I blame my mum and dad for being you know it's it's like the punch is in that that last bit of the sentence and so if you end it with he said it, you, you just lose all the punch you know you lose the 
the, the the clout of the sentence or whatever you want to call it, you know, but the, you lose the power of the sentence, yeah. you know. So yeah. that's why I try and break it up. Just if it's, you know, if it's just a short, if it's just a, that one statement but can, is a really powerful one, I break the sentence up. And I mean, sometimes, sometimes subs will will change it, you know. Um, <laughs> not, not, not everybody loves it. But to me, it's like you want to end, you want to end on, even if it's a sentence, you know, you want to end on with with the power and the and the and the clout and and like you talk about um, a rhythm for me and I don't mate, I don't know where it comes from, but there is a there is a rhythm and a pattern to everything you write. And if it like if I read if I read my story back in the paper, if if a word has been changed, I'll know. Mm. So I tend. I tend never to read my stuff only because, it, you know, if someone takes a, a, you know, anything out, it loses its, um, it just loses its rhythm. And I, like mm. I can, I can tell. And it's, yeah, there's uh, that, uh, they call it rhythm or cadence. And it, it is that thing, hey, like it, even in a paragraph, you know, you might go two short sentences and a bit longer and then one short one to finish it off. And you'll know the, the rhythm that you've sort of did it, did it, did it. Sounds Absolutely. ridiculous, but it, it it's the case. Yeah, and I mate, I don't know where that comes from. Um, you know, I, I said to someone, I I got diagnosed with OCD, so I don't <laughs> know if that is that is part of it. That where I have to have that, you know. But it's like it's it's like if it's a lot of the time I'll read read stuff out loud mm. when I'm you know, and that's why a big reason why I like working at home because I can sit there like an idiot reading my stuff <laughs> out loud and you know it's only the uh, you know the, the kids in the background who are like what's that doing you know um, so it's but it has to have that that rhythm and as I said like you know I guess everyone's different and I can't explain where it comes from or but you know and that's why I'll, I'll look at things sometimes that it might be changed and I'll be like oh, how did they take that word out how yeah, did they, they- it's like can't, it. can't you can't you hear it you know yeah. Yeah. but you know and and everyone's different i guess and and maybe some people don't don't hear anything at all i don't know it's but good that, it's good that we're different though and i think i mean i could pick up a story now uh, and i know that it's you who's written it and i think uh, in terms of your rhythm the, the sentence that i highlighted earlier around the longer sentence where it finishes off with shoot up throw down or simply celebrate being out that, that's got a real rhythm to it and it's um, very your style, I think. But th- this story, more overly, I guess, it, it finishes on a, a really positive note considering particularly the, the down note that it begins on. And I guess we say that's like a complication and a resolution. You say at the end, um, I just want mum and dad to do their best, burn shrugs. I can never understand what they've been through or what demons they're dealing with. That's actually been the hardest part in talking about all this. I haven't been able to ask them what they think because they haven't been here. So now I've just decided it's best for me to open up to get this out there so other kids can read it, hear it, and hopefully benefit because I'm not embarrassed anymore. This is my story. It's such a strong finish. This is my story. I mean, it's a great quote, but um, you probably felt the hope in this kid as as you're talking to him and, and it made sense to sort of finish with such a positive note. Yeah, I guess... Uh... Like for me, it's it's like to understand, and and when I, when I sit down with them, and and you know we'll be talking for a while, and and when you get to the, you know, to the stuff that usually they don't want to 
talk about the, mm. the way I the way I explain it to them is I, I I will always say look for people to understand where you are now in your life I want them to understand what you've you've fought through or what you've been through to to get here you know mm-hmm. so and and that's that's the way then I try and explain to them like if I can if I can tell people and show them you know what you've been through because I mean how like that's the whole point right like to understand you know Braden Burns making first grade and and and, and everything like that it's it's like you have to understand where he's been um and and then it makes the just the the thing of the of making first grade such a such a bigger story you know mm. the finishing school is a bigger story mm. you know and it, it's just trying to explain to them that it it's like what they've been through is really different to to most people and if if you let me tell that people can then appreciate where you are even more you know but you we need to we need to go through it all to to understand for people to understand you know how great it is that you are where you are now yeah it's a good point because i think um a lot of uh footy players will say you know what's what's all that got to do with with where I, what i'm doing now anyway as in and and be reluctant to dive into that stuff but when you frame it like that it's a it's a good way to go it's a huge story you know and it's like yeah people you know to understand who Braden burns is you have to understand the whole story you know and i and i get that blokes don't want to talk about it i really do and i don't know if I was in their situation, if I would, you know, I've had things going in my life that I probably don't want to, t- you know, talk about. But you know, you, that, and that again, you really appreciate it that they mm-hmm. do. And it's it's like, again, it comes back to that. If I'm going to tell this one story about you, you know, I, I want I want people to really understand who you are and and you know what makes you tick. You know. Yeah, I think that's the essence of it. The other guy you mentioned earlier, um, UFC fighter Rob Whitaker. I thought we'd have a look at a piece you wrote on him in uh, late April. It's a terrific piece. Uh, and it's clear, I think, as we get into the story that you do have a pre-existing relationship with him because there was some some difficult stuff in this story that you had to address with him. Rumours about, you know, the health of his daughter. I mean, there's not much more personal stuff than that. Just to put listeners in, in the picture, um, he stopped fighting and there were some rumours floating around that, he had done it because he needed to donate bone marrow to his his sick daughter, which, from from what I can understand from the story, Nick, is just complete, completely false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, so I'm lucky, as I said, with Rob Whitaker's a like a tremendously talented athlete and just a terrific guy, great family man. Like he's one of one of the most decent human beings I've I've interviewed you know and as as a lot of the fighters are I mean what you know I, I mean I don't feel any need to defend them but what people think of when they think of UFC fighters and and who the the top guys really are is just you know to make it to the top of any sport you have to be dedicated and and you have to be you know there's so much that has to go into it but he's a he's a really by his own admission he's he doesn't like media you know doesn't like doing it isn't a fan of it um so it's it's been a a slow sort of build you know over the years and and it's sort of been lucky that as as he's grown you know um our our coverage of of the sport has grown um so we're i mean we're at a point now like when he told me that he's you know there was no 
you know, the last two times I've interviewed him, we've spoken about this most recent, which was basically a sort of a, a breakdown. Um, and before that, it was about his, you know, he's he's dealt with depression his whole life. Mm, yeah, I remember reading that. Um, and so they're the last two times I've spoken to him. So it's, uh, I mean, you talk about how do you to do you get to to these sort of interviews? I mean, oh, like I've been writing about Rob for eight years, you know, and now we can talk about this stuff. Mm. You know? So mm. it's like, you know, sometimes you might like Braden Burns. I'd never met before. You know, it was that, it was that first day sitting for a coffee. Rob, I've known for eight years, and now. He's at a point where he tra- where where you sit down and he he trusts you to tell his story, you know. Which again, I'm I'm really grateful for because again that that most recent story, I mean, you know, that was of interest to everyone. I mean, he's a he's an international name. Like I know ESPN in the states were hounding him to try and to try and get him to sit down with them and and talk to them, you know. So um, that he chooses to sit down with you and do it is, you know, is um, you're honoured to do it. So again, mm. you want to you want to do it properly. It's like a lot of people are going to read this. This is his story. You you want to do it properly, you know. When it's a big deal like that, Nick, do you? You know, do do you sort of you go to his place? You don't want to leave without uh, knocking off a, a list of subjects that you know you have to hit. Well, this one uh, this one was different, and I was really sort of concerned because it was only a couple of weeks ago, so everyone was still in lockdown, so we had to do it over the phone. And it's um, uh, you know, it's I was sort of a bit concerned because you know, although I know Rob really well now. Um, you know, again, I just, I never want to do these over the phone because I yeah. also feel like it's disrespectful. You know, if, if I'm, if I want to, if I want to hear your story, the least I can do is, is drive to where you are and meet you in person. That's the, the very least I can do, you know. Um, but again, as I was saying, like, it's, I think it's lucky that I know Rob well enough that we could, we could talk over the phone and, and, and sort of, nut this one out, you know, but as I say, it, it was sort of like, it, it was a bit, like I knew there was going to be a story there because he, he just stopped fighting. Yeah. You know, in January or February, whenever it was, he just said that I'm out and, mm-hmm. and was gone. So you went into it knowing that there was something there, but I hadn't been able to get out of anybody. I mean, obviously there'd been the rumor about him donating bone marrow to his daughter, which, you know, went everywhere. To the to the point, you know, you had fighters uh, in the most recent uh, on the card that he was supposed to be at in the ring saying, you know, Rob Whitaker, you know, we so appreciate what you've done. You're a terrific dad. You know, it just went global this story, which I guess is a bit of a, you know, indictment on on where media is now. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a story just went everywhere, and and uh, I mean, we didn't write about it because I I rang his manager and said, look. It, what's happening and you know and then I texted Rob but he'd gone off the grid by this stage so he turned off his phone and everything like that so and his manager was actually up in the with Sundays so we couldn't get a hold of him either so I was like until we know for sure like let's just wait and and sure like it wasn't true you know good, but so, good lesson right there yeah you know how, how did like, the wheel turn mate how did how did um you eventually get him he was just well, ready yeah, yeah. I mean, and and it's but it was a long time, you know. Mm. So you know. Uh, yeah, what was it? Four months after he he had stopped. I'll, I'll jump into the story quickly. He says, um, you, "You're right." Robert Whitaker was halfway up a sandhill on Christmas Day when he did the unthinkable. He stopped. 
which made no sense or not for Whitaker. That unbreakable UFC fighter who for five years has devoted his Sundays to climbing those famed Wanda dunes in Sydney's Sutherland Shire. When an NRL team tackles Wanda, a dozen hills have been enough to see players collapse, even hospitalised. Yet Whitaker, he runs 37, has never once quit on a dune either, or not until last December. I just stopped, he says, then stood there asking, what the F am I doing? It was Christmas Day. My family was somewhere else. That moment, it's when everything crashed. And I mean, that's a perfect, I guess, you know, if we've not heard from this guy for four months, you've just said in a nutshell, this is what happened. Um, it's, it's your perfect introduction, isn't it? I mean, that line, it's when everything crashed, you must have been like, bang, okay, here we go. Yeah, and you sort of, uh, you know, like when you're, when you're interviewing someone, you, you know, like you get to that point, you're like, okay, there it is. So then it was a matter of, you know, he went on for a few minutes and, you know, like oh, sometimes I like in that case, I had a notepad there. So I was just jotting down and then, and, and then so you, cause you want to go, you need a, a point of reference. So you want to go, okay, I need to go back to this. So, and you know, I had to take him back to that point on the dunes a couple of times to try and get a bit more description around. Okay. So when you stopped, we're like, we're halfway up a hill where we're like, you know, and then, and then what happens, you know, and, you know, and he's like, then I went home and, and, and it was later. And, and so it, it takes to, you're like, okay, I know this is, this is the moment, but you know, and, and for, for Rob, like he's a, like, you know, he's a, like a UFC champion. So he doesn't sort of think like you do, you know, for him, that was just something that happened and move on and we get it done. And, but for the rest of us, it's like, wow, that's an incredible that's an incredible moment, you know. So it's it's sort of like, again, and it's sort of like, you know, you feel like you're bugging him to keep, it's like, okay, I, now, now I need to ask you about this. And now I need, yeah. and, but just keep asking because it's going to help you in the writing process. Mm. You know, it's like, I, like I'm not uh, like a, a very good writer as such. Like I can't just write, I, I need the information. So if I haven't asked all the questions, you, you know, I, I really struggle. So the making sure you've got all as much information out of him as possible. And that's why like normally I'd rather, you know, like with, with things when you're writing, if you can go and watch him do things or that, it's, it's so much easier, but obviously you couldn't be there that day. So it's like just trying to ask three or four times to take him back to that moment, different ways to then find out what happened next, try and get some detail. Where were you on the hill? What was your thoughts? You know, mm. uh, you know, were you there by yourself? You know, was the team there? You know, like just... What colour shorts did you have on? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> just yeah, anything and, like and everything, you hey? Think yeah. of, whatever yeah. you can think of to that's going to help you then paint that picture. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think um, a good one to note as well. And I mean, we talked about his, his daughter and you, you personalise it in that way because he addresses those rumours, but... Then later you always you talk about his um, his relentless grind, you, you say here, which was responsible for him not only fighting his way out of Menai Housing Commission, but those severe bouts of depression where even into his teens he could hide away for days, even weeks in his bedroom. And I know you kind of um, touched on the fact that you had interviewed him about that previously, but up until this point in the story, you know, this is almost a machine this guy's a machine that has almost malfunctioned but here you you managed to humanize him and you talked right at the top about writing about people 
is that something that young writers should make sure that they're remembering to do that? Hang on. I'm writing about a person here, every sports person or whoever I'm writing about, they are a person. Yeah, mate. I, I think so. You know, it's um, the way I've always looked at it is people want to read about people. So even, even if you're doing and writing about an issue, bring it back to a person, how it affects a person, you know, you know what I mean? But yeah, like always, like I'm always incredibly respectful of who I'm interviewing because I mean, they don't have to share anything with you. Like mm. it's, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid to turn up there. You know what I mean? This is, this is my job. Um, this is their life and they don't have to share any of it. Mm. So I've been, I find myself blessed that I've been able to follow Rob Whittaker's career, you mm. know, from, from when he was a city rail worker, you know, in the, in the ultimate fighter, you know, and I was paying my own way to go up and, and, and watch him fight, you know, but it's, yeah, like it's, everyone's got their story, but it's just trying to be respectful of it and, and, and tell it, you know, in a, in a way. And, and I mean, it's look, not every, not every story is a positive story. Like some, some features you're going to write are about, the, the subject is, isn't going to be happy. So you're not showing it to them or, or whatever, but there is a person at the end of it. Absolutely. And if you, mm. if you at least that they mightn't always like it, but at least if you're fair with it, with everything you do, that that's all you can do. You know, if, if it's a, if it's, if what you're doing is fair, then, then that has to be enough. I think that's a good rule to stick by. Later in the piece, Nick, you, um, you, there's a quite a run of quotes. Uh, you um, where he talks about, because of his training schedule, he was missing birthdays, weddings, funerals. You interject there. You just write, you missed funerals to train. He writes, I'd rather not go into it, he concedes. But yeah, it was crazy. And then he, he there's a few more lines, probably, I don't know, eight sentences where it's just really good stuff. Do you have a sort of a quotes to words ratio? Like, I mean, you just kind of let it run there and he's doing such a good job of telling his story. Is that just a, just something you have to balance? And in that case just run with yeah like every to me every story is different you know what i mean Uh, and when i do let quotes like just run it'll usually be further down like at at the top at the top of it i like to really write it you Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because you know you have to bring people into a story and you might have to describe certain things that, that they are you know and and tighten up what they've said but then like later on you know once you get into the into the yarn you know sometimes it's just better to to let their quotes go you know mm. and that, that's that's what I thought you know in this case it's like he was you know and especially for Rob who who doesn't traditionally or hasn't traditionally opened up a lot it's like when you've got him talking like that just you know, let it run, you know. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. But there's no, it's it's sort of a, just a horses for courses, you know, like it's sometimes, you know, you find you, you'll get to an end of an interview and it's it'll be sort of a bit all over the place and you've really got to really write it, you know. Mm, mm. Um, other, other times you just, it's just let their quotes go. Do you um, throw yourself into a story in the sense of, I mean, do, do, if you sometimes can relate to the, individual you're interviewing is it okay to sort of let your own experiences influence your writing i mean you've got kids you, i'm sure you couldn't imagine missing too many birthdays to, to run sand hills well i think mate i can't i wouldn't miss anything <laughs> to run a sand hill <laughs> you know me I, I don't run anywhere and haven't for a long time but um I, I think like when he's saying that and that's what it's about 
just just listening you, you know like so when someone says they missed a funeral it's like you're not going on to your next question you're like hang on he he just said he missed a funeral to train mm. like that's, that's huge. good point. so yeah. so just think it like so really listen to what people are saying and then you know you have you have your questions and like when i first started out I would have them written down and, and still sometimes I do. If I'm going to a bigger interview, I'll have uh, all, all my questions printed out and just sitting somewhere that I can see them so it's it's not obvious again to who I'm interviewing that, you know, it, it might just be like a, a folded in half piece of paper that's just got dot points or whatever just so I can I know the points I'm wanting to hit. But again, it, it's sort of it's just sitting on your lap or something so they don't, again, they don't feel like they're being interviewed. But, you know, you're listening. So then, then it's like, hey, like, that doesn't make sense. You know, mm. so I need you to tell me more about that because that doesn't make sense to me. Like, to me, that, that statement needed another question. Mm. Like, I, I need to know more about how you missed a funeral. Mm. It, and it, even it, the answer of I'd rather not go into it, it still puts it, it still underlines the point. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it shows by him saying, I don't want to go into it. It, it, it shows that it's, there's, there's some power there and he's, yeah. it's something he's really thought about that's, that's brought him to this point, you know? Yeah. And it stops the reader as well. Like you said, like you stopped in the interview cause you were listening it kind of makes the reader listen as well. Like, oh shit, he did just say he missed a funeral to yeah. go and run a sandhill. Like, yeah, and and I'll do that sometimes when I write. Like, I'll I'll throw the question in there mm. to, to especially when they're when they're talking like that. I mean, it's just you throw the question in and it, it just fits, you know. And then and then it's sort of because that's what everyone's asking when they're reading, you know. So for the reader, it's like, yeah, you know. Mm. Um, and I think when you say you put yourself in, like, I think you do, you know, like, and it's, I think that's what I've always said to, to young writers. It's like, what can you, it's like, get out, like go travel, go do the more, the more, you know, and experience the, the better your writing's going to be. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, and as I said, like my, my writing's fairly, it's, it's slang and, 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 and short and simple, but it's, it's sort of like, again, it's that, that background I have of, of you know, being, being able to be lucky enough, I guess, to grow up, you know, with dad at the races and, and hanging around him, you know, in, in cricket clubs and football, rugby league clubs. And and then even when I moved to Mudgee, you know, um, there was a lot of older guys there. Like I spent a lot of time in pubs, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's like you learn a language, you know, mm. it's, it's, mm. And that's, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot better ways, different ways to write than sitting in a pub or at a racetrack, but that's that's where mine comes from. You mm. know what I mean? It's like that's the language I used to write. Like I didn't get sort of, and I was, I was really lucky too. Like I'd have to mention, like I was blessed that, you know, I went to uni with Andrew Webster who was, you know, really helped me out. And I always used to, to watch and look at the way he wrote. I mean, uh, Paul Kent early on, he played in the same footy club, you know, and I was really lucky that he helped me out. Neil Cadigan, another guy, another journalist from the Central Coast. Norm Tasker was my first editor at, at, at Rugby League Week. I mean, the, you know, young journalists can, can miss. I was really blessed that, that I had some, um, some people around me who gave me some, some great advice early on you know that I that I still stick to now like it was Caddo who said people want to read about people you know mm. and I guess Kenty's style was probably something I copied early on I really liked the way 
Paul Kent wrote, um, and but then over time, you know, you 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 know now I'm I'm probably nothing like how he writes, but it's it, you you find your own style, you know. So that that's the other thing. You you look at other people that you like, uh, you know. Eventually, you sort of find your own your own way of, of, of writing, you know? Yeah. And it's funny, you can end up writing completely different to someone you like the way they write, but you, you still enjoy their writing too. Oh, absolutely. And there's, I mean, there's so many, you know, good journos in, in mm. Sydney, you know, or in, in Australian mm. sport, like, uh, you know, as I said, Webby, mate yourself, I love the way you write, you know, there's so many, there's so many good, good writers, you know, here in Australia. I think so often we look to, you know, America as, as the, you know, and it is the home of great sports writing. But there's, uh, I mean, for me, I, I love, you know, picking up the paper and, and, and seeing, you know, what guys I know are writing, mm. you know. I, um, you know, and, it, and it's, it's sort of, that's what motivates you, I think. You know, you see Will Swanton write something or Webby write something or something that you've written and it's, it's like, oh, shit, you know, I better pull my finger out this week <laughs> and, you know, and, and come up with something, you know. It's, um, you know, I find that the, having those sort of guys, you know, that pushes you. Yeah, awesome, mate. Well, before we go, um, there's one question we're asking everyone, dead or alive, who would you love to interview? or write about, you know, go really deep with, spend a few hours in a room with or a day and, and, and why? Uh, it's, you know, it's, I mean, there's a lot of different people, but for me, it's, it's a, it's a left field one, but I would say my pop because mm-hmm. my pop was, uh, he was a really talented guy. He was a really talented writer and he was sort of someone who early on taught me a little bit about writing. He'd done, uh, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't um, he wasn't a journalist or anything like that, but he, you know, he it was something that he did as a hobby. And I would just love to know more. Like I would love to know more about what what inspired him to write because I I was pretty young when he died. I was about ten, um, so we never really got to talk. I mean, he told me some taught me some really basic things about how you draw people into a story and stuff like that you know and I, I was only a little kid and I remember you know sitting over at his house and and uh, he must have worked out early on that, that that's what I was you know gonna yeah, do interested in doing uh, yeah what did, what did he what, what did he write about mate he, he wrote he sort of a, a bit of everything like mate he did poetry and 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 short stories mate he was he was a really talented painter but he didn't. He didn't do any of that for a living. You know, he had like, you know, eight kids and 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 worked on the railways and and, you know, it was just uh, probably you know wrong time, wrong place. You mm. know, he should be. He should have been doing what I'm doing. You, you know what I mean? So I would. I just. I just love to sit with him and just talk about writing with him. Mm. You know, it's. Um, that's a great he, answer, mate. Yeah, he was yeah. so good at it, um, and he sort of never got to really do it. Well, he never got to do it for a living, but he just he just loved to write. So I would love to just to just sit and talk to him just about. I mean, obviously, I'd love to just see him again and talk to him, mm. but I, I'd love to sit with him and have a beer and and uh, talk about writing. Well, Nick, I certainly think you're doing your grandpa proud, and uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Writers Hour. No worries, Adzi, mate. Thanks for having me. It was excellent. I really appreciate it.